0: Alan Jones, Australia's leading voice.
1: Well, something special for you, a special guest, someone you enjoy, an outspoken, articulate and informed friend, Nigel Farage joins us. He'll be in Australia shortly speaking alongside Donald Trump Jr. You can find all the details at trumplive.com.au, trumplive.com.au. He is a politician turned broadcaster and he's with us. Nigel, thank you for your time. Now, listen, before we get into the heavy stuff, what's this business about making a political comeback if Britain changed
0: the voting system? Well, I spent you a know, quarter of a century, Alan, fighting for us to get back our sovereignty because we've given it away to a globalist organisation called the EU. Uh, we couldn't you know, control what fish we caught or what regulations uh, our businesses had to live by or who even came to live and settle in our country. We'd lost everything. Uh, so I fought to get that back. Uh, now that we've got it back, uh, the truth is uh, that our political class uh, aren't actually very good. So we're being mismanaged at home as badly as we were from Brussels. The problem is, uh, to change things, we have an absolutist first-past-the-post electoral system. There is no proportionality, there is no element of a preferential vote. So whilst I won two national elections, I won two European elections in 2014 and 2019 when it was a proportional system and when the wasted vote argument went out of the window... The last big general election I fought in 2015, despite the difficulties, I got four million votes and only one seat in Parliament. Now, if we had proportionality, I'm pretty confident that I could get 20, 25% of the vote and hold the balance of power. So, yeah, what I'm saying is, much as I, you know, much as I enjoyed my time in the European Parliament, and be certain of one thing. I enjoyed it much more than they did, um, but, <laughs> but I, but I, you know, to get back into this, I need a system that gives me a fighting chance. Otherwise, all that would happen again is I'd get maybe five million votes or five and a half million votes, and very little representation. Yes, yeah, so not- I think we do need
1: change. Nigel, we have preferential voting here and it's most probably just as bad in the outcome as what you're talking about in England. You see, candidates sometimes with fewer than 30% of the primary vote get into Parliament on preferences. So... It's very difficult to know. Both systems are hopelessly imperfect, aren't they? I mean, preferential voting here gets people in the Senate, that's our upper house where they really started with only a couple of hundred primary votes, and that keeps the preferences keep being distributed, and lo and behold, you find them in the Senate and they're the sun-ripened, warm tomato party or something. So it's it's a very difficult thing.
0: What it is, it is, however, you know, we're going to go into a general election next year, right? And we're going to face a Liberal Democrat Party, they're quite small, but they're still there, a Labour Party and a Conservative Party. And guess what? They're all social Democrat globalists. But we have absolutely no choice whatsoever. Mm. Um, so, look, no system is perfect, but uh, there is a system, without getting too technical, called AV+. Plus. And under that, you would vote for the man or woman to represent your district. And I think we all agree there is an important principle with that point. With your second vote, you'd vote for an opinion. And if that opinion got more than 5% nationally, that would then start to get representation. So actually, obscure little parties under that system, unlike Israel, would not be represented, but significant views that are not represented would. And I think that actually is the way forward. Very good point.
1: I just want to take you up on that point that you just made there, the word you used, globalist. Now, I'm really interested, and I'm sure many are, this goes around the world, this interview, in your take on Boris Johnson losing the prime ministership. I don't want to talk about that and being out of the parliament, but surely denying the man a parliamentary pass, I think is a bit over the top. But I wanted to ask you this, does this open the door for the Remainers? You're one of the architects of Brexit. Now, I make the point to our viewers, before Nigel answers that question, there are 27 members of the European Union and there are applications to join from eight additional countries, Turkey, Montenegro, Serbia, North Macedonia, Moldova, Bosnia, Albania and Ukraine. Now, if these applications are successful, the European Union will stretch from Dublin to Kiev and include almost all the countries in Western Europe, Eastern Europe and the Balkans. One of the few countries missing is, of course, the United Kingdom in the wake of Brexit. So, Nigel, back to you. Johnson's gone, Farage is not in there. Will Brexit survive?
0: Well, if you poll people, um, sort of, you know, and say, well, who are the people uh, that are responsible for Brexit happening? And, and you ask this of people who agree with it or disagree with it. Ninety-eight percent say Farage and Johnson. We are the two names associated with Brexit. Me for pushing it up to the line, and Boris for getting it over. So we both have a vested interest. It is our political legacy. I fear that the Conservative Party, frankly, never really believed in it. I agree. The Labour Party. The Labour Party, wants, you know, again and again, fought for a second referendum on the issue. What is absolutely plain as a pike staff is that the Conservatives are absolutely done for at the next general election. There is no way back. And frankly, they don't deserve a way back, given how badly they've managed everything. So what do a Labour government do? Almost certainly, they sign us up to all the rules of the European Union but without saying we're going to rejoin. And then we finish up with something called BRINO, Brexit in name only. Mm. It is possible, yes, Mm. it is possible that there'll be another epic fight over this coming in three, four, five Mm. years' time. And it's at that moment, I think, that Johnson and I would have to team up and do something. Mm.
1: See, there are many devotees, aren't there, Nigel, of one world government where nation states and their borders no longer matter. Now, the European Union is a manifestation of this. You witness the role of the current president of the EU, Ursula von der Leyen, and at international meetings, she assumes the status equal of the president of the United States. Now, the EU began, just for our viewers, as a customs union really for the iron and steel industries primarily, then we had the Treaty of Rome in 1958, a free trade zone, which was a rational sort of economic arrangement. But as Nigel and I have argued, it's been transformed into a political colossal and current member states are subject to a range of administrative and legal limitations. In short, Nigel, they can't govern their own affairs.
0: Well, that's right. And that's why we're seeing countries like Poland really beginning to get yep. pretty stroppy. Yep. Uh, you know, don't, don't forget, don't forget, you know, it's only 35 years ago that they were living under full Soviet control. These people know what it's like to live in a country with no democracy. Now, one of the reasons they all joined is they join the European Union and they join NATO because of their historic fear of Russia. And I get that and I understand that. But now you've got Brussels telling Poland, telling Hungary, who they may even appoint as judges, what they have to do with domestic legislation, uh, telling them they have to bring in legislation on gay marriage and many other social issues. So whilst the union is very big, yes, sure, UK leaving was a major moment, and whilst you've got all these tiddly little countries that want to join, it's the governments that want to join, mm. not really the people
1: Good point. want
0: to join. Good point. And, and there is a fracturing. Mm. There is a fracturing. There is an east-west fracturing. There is the west of Europe view that, you know, age 16, if you want to change gender twice a week, that's absolutely fine. <laughs> and there's no need to tell your parents, and there's no need for <laughs> <a> medical diagnosis. <laughs> and, <laughs> Then you've got then you've got well, we call it Eastern Europe, but actually it's Central Europe, isn't it? The Czech Republic, yep. Slovakia, Hungary, Poland. And these countries, believe it or believe it not, do you know something? They still believe the family matters. Mm. They still have the church mm. as the centerpiece of what they're all about. So you've got a huge cultural divide going on between the East and the West, mm. and then you've got a north south divide on the euro. Where the euro has been great for the Germans, oh, absolutely yeah. wonderful for the Germans, but catastrophic for the Greeks, the Italians, the yep. Portuguese, and many others. So Shit. you know something, and 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 you know this from your rugby days. You know, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. That's it. <laughs> I I absolutely believe that historically, what the UK has done is correct. Definitely. Human beings definitely want to live in nation states. Yep. They like flags. They like anthems. They like having their own cricket teams that yep. compete against each yep. other, as we're yep. seeing at the moment. So I don't believe that this project can last. I think, I think it will go down in history um, as, as yet another completely flawed attempt. But here's the problem. The problem is that governments all over the world, from Albanese in Australia to Biden, uh, or what's left of him in America, and they view the European Union as the model Mm. That is the model mm. on which they want the world yeah, to be governed. That's the worry. And we are back to. It. That's the worry. Yeah, and I mean, we're see, back to see
1: that's the worry. See, you yeah. made this point that the strong way back, the strongest argument you and I have talked about this many times, strongest argument for Brexit was one of national sovereignty, release the United Kingdom from yeah. political direction from Brussels and from legal rulings by the EU Court of Justice in Luxembourg and the Human Rights in Strasbourg. The opponents of Brexit had a sort of a reasonable economic argument that there would be financial consequences for leaving the EU. But Nigel, even if that argument had validity, the strongest argument is that national sovereignty should not ever be sacrificed for financial gain.
0: Well, absolutely. Um, you, you know, and, 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 and the arguments over economics, I mean, you know, we could argue those all around the houses until and, until tomorrow morning and, and who knows who's right and who's wrong. But what is absolutely right is the principle of yeah. national sovereignty embedded in a country where, under a democratic rule, we can hire and fire the leaders. We, we couldn't vote for European commissioners. No. We couldn't get rid of European commissioners, no. but we can get rid of prime ministers, and yeah. that is the point. And actually, actually, you know, some people think this point's old-fashioned. I don't. Actually, the generations that went before us made absolutely colossal sacrifices in two world wars so that we and the rest of Europe could be free democratic countries. And that's not something to throw up with the bathwater as if it doesn't matter. It does matter. It matters hugely. And what do you think about the history of mankind? I mean, what people in the history of mankind ever willingly give up the right to govern themselves? And this is what the globalists want to do. And, and, you know, your viewers, some of them may think, oh, well, Brussels is thousands of miles away. You know, what on earth that got to do with me? Mm. Be aware that all the Western governments actually want this model of government. They want decision-making to go from you to supranational level.
1: Absolutely, and cut across a nation's very existence. And we have people in Canberra who do think the European Union is the model. So with Johnson gone and Farage out of the parliament, are the Remainers in the saddle? How far are we from a one-world government?
0: The Remainers are in the saddle. Um, I think the, the biggest test of all, Alan, in my view, is what happens in America next year. Oh. You know, whatever happens in your country or mine, it's important and it matters to people's lives. But actually, we've all got to face something. The Americans, you know, they are the leaders of the Western world in so many ways. If America falls, then I suspect that we all fall. So I think that's where the absolute epicenter of the battle lies. And we have a Biden administration, you know, committed to globalism, committed to signing international charters on climate change or whatever it may be that takes away a country's sovereignty. And then we have Trump on the other side, who, you know, he's not everyone's cup of tea. I mean, he's a friend of mine. I'd admit he could be a bit brash, occasionally. He's a, he's a New Yorker. But Trump who believes in the nation state. Trump who believes that it's our Judeo-Christian roots that built the entirety of our civilization, our institutions, and everything we understand that we are. So to me, I think what happens next year in America is going to have a profound effect on all of us. And, and that's kind of why I'm coming back to Australia. I mean, I didn't need much persuading, I can tell you. (laughs) But, but, you know, Donald Trump Jr. is on this tour and leading this tour. And if anybody sort of thinks, well, maybe it's all too difficult, Uh, maybe we've lost, Uh, maybe the culture wars have gone so far they can't be reversed, to hear the tale of Donald Trump Jr., who, by the way, is a great raconteur, to hear the tale of the courage Mm. and determination of his father mm. against all odds. Yes. And that but we must never, I have, and, you know, and, and we must never ever give up.
1: No, I, I interviewed uh, Donald Trump Jr. only a couple of weeks ago. And he, the one thing he said is when his father came down the steps at Trump Tower to announce he was running for the presidency, and he yeah. turned to his son and he said, Now we're going to find out who our friends are. Just on Donald Trump, what do you then make? Of the Democrats seemingly using every instrument of government, that is, the Department of Justice, the FBI, the lot of them, to demonize, vilify, and virtually destroy a political opponent. How divisive is this stuff? Uh,
0: frightening. 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 I mean, this week we've learned, this week we've learned that Sam Bankman Freud, you know, who ran that crypto exchange, and what looks like one of the biggest corporate frauds in the history of the world, and who, incidentally, was a massive donor to the Democrats and a yep. whole host of linked campaigns. Yep. We've learned this week that the Democrat government have dropped all charges. Hunter Biden, who, I, I mean, you know, the millions that he's earned from corrupt regimes, is facing a couple of minor tax misdemeanours, which he's pleaded guilty to. And on the other hand... You've got the book being thrown at Trump in absolutely every single way. Hillary you know, Clinton. What is the difference? Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Well, well, well you've got the Clinton server, the emails, yeah. the laptop that was wiped. 30,000. 30,000 emails wiped. Yeah. 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 So, so, so this, is, this is the weaponization mm. of the judiciary in America in a, in a completely unprecedented way. And the worry, the worry is this. You see, democracy works, Alan, because we may not like the outcome, but we accept the outcome and undo the mess the other lot have made. If you lose faith and confidence in the democratic system and the judicial system that necessarily backs it up, well, then if voting doesn't change things, but you want to change things, what do you do? Would you take to the streets? Yeah. and my worry, my worry is that America is on a is on a, frankly a very fine line at the moment. Mm. Where if people lose faith in the system, then we're going to see violence in American cities mm. mm. uh, on a scale that is unimaginable. Yes. And that is why this is so fundamental. I think you're important. absolutely it's right. Why I repeat the point. So I repeat the point: that if America falls, we all fall. Yes. So America matters.
1: Hundred percent correct. Can I just shift this focus a bit while I've got you here to a social yeah. issue? I raised the issue yesterday, Nigel, of a high school in Sydney where the girls' toilets have kitty litter for girls who think they're cats. And I noted Sussex, a school teacher, told a pupil she was <coughs> despicable yeah. after she refused to accept that her classmate identified as a cat. This is Rye College in East Sussex. And a 13 year old girl Mm. asked a classmate, how can you identify as a cat when you're a girl? And the teacher told her she'd be reported for saying that. She was no longer welcome at the school and it was despicable. What do you say to that?
0: Yeah, and I mean, Rye, it's an old ancient medieval town. This is not some inner city run by a Marxist council. This is traditional old England. So it's happening everywhere. And it shows you the extent to which the educational system in all of our countries has been completely hijacked by an extreme left agenda. So of the big battles that we have to fight for the long-term health of democratic debate, of understanding what free speech and the right to be heard, because that's important, isn't it? We always talk about free speech, But actually, it's the right to be heard that is even more important. We have, all of us, got to face up to the fact that we need dramatic reform of our education systems. And it is going to be one of the most titanic battles that has been fought in all of our countries, rather like Thatcher versus the left-wing trade unions. It's one of those great battles that has to be fought. I thought the 13-year-old girl uh, standing up to her teacher in Rye was very very impressive. Yeah. The reason we know about it, Alan, is because she had the foresight to record the conversation. Yes. But it's happening in schools every single day. Mm-hmm. You know you, you know we need critical thinking. Critical thinking is you and I can sit down and agree to disagree, but respect the right of the other person to have a different point of view. Yeah. It is the fundamental of being free human beings living in liberty and democracy. And it's that that was undermined by that teacher. Yes, the 13-year-old girl, no. you know, thinks her magnificent is crazy.
1: Yeah, and she to was, it, she was told it was well, despicable, right. despicable. Just on those two yeah. words, liberty and democracy, we've just had a book published here in Australia, Australia Breaks Apart. I talked about this stuff from day one, and you did too, in relation to coronavirus lockdowns, locking kids out of school, closing down businesses. And if you said that stuff as I did, you were cancelled. John Stapleton argues in his book that Australia descended into its darkest days, quote, a full totalitarian tilt into the abyss of government maladministration, a frightened, disoriented, confused population, imprisoned in their own homes and distrust everywhere. Now, you spoke at CPAC early this year about giving, and I quote your words, unlimited power to people. You said to lock us inside our houses. And you said this, ladies and gentlemen, is what tyranny looks like. We live through tyranny, Nigel.
0: Yes, absolutely, and particularly in the state of Victoria. Mm. Uh, you know what was happening in Victoria. I mean, it was bad enough here, but what was happening in Victoria was unimaginable. I think the Djokovic house arrest really woke the world up to what was actually happening in Australia, and we kind of have this view and this vision that Australians are happy-go-lucky, that they, you know, they speak as they find, and and we learn that in parts of Australia, the most astonishing change has taken place quite rapidly actually, over the course of the last couple of years or so. I mean, look, there is no doubt, there is no doubt that lockdown did profound damage, profound economic damage, profound psychological damage, and long-term profound medical damage. And yet, and yet, we in this country now have a coronavirus inquiry, a public inquiry. David Cameron has been up before it this week. We will get the results of that inquiry in, wait for it, 2026 Mm. is a complete blooming whitewash Mm. and nobody, nobody in any Western government has apologised for what they did. Mm. And at the same time, we have the World Health Organisation doing their utmost to put together a pandemic treaty, which would give them the ability to tell all of us when we should lock down and how many times our arms should be Mm. jabbed with some vaccine or another, so that we all look like pincushions. So wake up everybody. Governments need to be held to account for what they did. They need to apologize for the harm they've caused. And we must urge our governments not to sign up to a new World Health Organization pandemic treaty.
1: Yes, I mean, it, it was a massive taxpayer-funded fear campaign. And those of us who spoke against that, oh, 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 hang on, you can't. And so we had this violent, abusive, authoritarian, very provoking scenes. Nigel, the politicians and incompetent, and I said this over and over again, and arrogant health bureaucrats who advise them will never face any penalty because they were all singing off the same sheet. Promote hysteria and fear, take every imaginable <laughs> freedom away, I mean, at least you've got Inquiry 2026. We have nothing here. I mean, how is the Western world managing, you know, in all of this? And of course, when you've got a cognitively diminished US president and weak political leadership everywhere. I mean, for God's
0: sake. Yeah, I mean, we are not in a good place. Uh, And we're led by career politicians who are without principle, obsessed with rank, title, position. And now we learn obsessed with power over the individual. And they're doing it with everything. I mean, I've been predicting, Adam, for the last couple of weeks. And it, it's, it's caused a bit of hilarity to begin with. Uh, but if people laugh at me, I think, oh, I must be on the right track, you know. Yeah. But So last Tuesday, the 13th of June, the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, said, there is a big anti-cyclone sitting over London. There's no wind. The temperatures are hot, right? And air quality is poor. I urge you today only to use your motor cars for absolutely necessary journeys, oh, not to allow your car to idle, oh. not to burn any wood oh. or cardboard. Oh. Now, now, if you, now, if you tie this in, right, if you tie this in with speed cameras, mm. which are going up everywhere, yeah. if you tie it in with congestion jar- charging zones, which again are being extended and extended, where we can be tracked with everything we do. I think we're within a couple of years of climate lockdowns. No I mean yeah. it I mean it. You're right. You know, we'll you be are told right. government. You know you can't drive a car for a no. week. Um, And and carbon
1: dioxide, carbon carbon dioxide, I keep saying, is 0.04% of the atmosphere. You walk into the street and ask someone whether a gas which is 0.04% of the atmosphere is going to bring the world to an end. They look at you as if you're stupid. But you (coughs) can't, a politician couldn't even tell you what percentage of carbon dioxide there was in the atmosphere. They don't know.
0: No. No. And the other figure, the other figure, I had a chap on the show the other week you know, one of these great wind farm people who's made tens of millions off the back of tax. You know, let let the poor pay, let the poor pay. That's fine. We're happy with that. Um, And and I said to him um, on my programme, I said, tell me, um, what percentage of CO2 that is generated every year within the world is generated by man? I don't know, he said. Well, you know the answer, 3%. 3%, yeah. And in dear old
1: Australia, we're we're 1.3% of 3% of 0.04%. Oh, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Now, listen, before we go, before we go, I've got a serious question to ask you. The most important question of the night, are you still smoking?
0: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm a completely unreformed sinner um, in every regard. Um, but you know what? You know what? I tell you what. I'm 60 next birthday. I've never felt fitter. You look sensational. I've never felt better. <laughs> you look great. I've got the, you know, I've, I've, I've cut the boozing down, although, although I have got three days at Lord's watching England v. Australia in the ashes next week, so that'll wow. make him out of the window for a couple of <laughs> days. But no, I've, I'm fighting this. And, and, Good on you. You know, if at some point in the next few years the opportunity to to, to launch a comeback against this global establishment. Good on establishment you. Good on presents you. This, I agree. I,
1: I agree. Okay. Be I'll be the campaign manager. Look, we'll leave it there. Wonderful to talk to you and we'll catch up again soon. Look forward to it. Isn't that wonderful, Nigel Farage, hey? Eh? But is this is the point. We need these people in the public square, don't we? Hope you enjoyed that most impressive international politician, Nigel Farage.